This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Good evening, I'm Maureen McGrath, and this is the Sunday Night Health Show. It's been said, your health is your wealth and leads to a longer, happier life and even better relationships. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, and yes, 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 even sexual. Listener discretion is advised. Please put the kitties to bed because we always uncover what lies beneath the covers. On the Sunday Night Health Show, I have a passion for evidence-based health information to guide you so that the life you lead is the best it can be, and my aim is to provide you with up-to-date health information so that you know there are options for treatment for whatever may ail you. This, however, is no replacement for a visit to your doctor. And by doctor, I don't mean Gwyneth Paltrow and the goop that she spreads. Apparently, she's heading to Vancouver, and the medical establishment there is not very happy. Good evening, Andrew. How are you? Oh, don't get me started on goop, please. Honestly. <laughs> like, I, I can't even comprehend uh, yes, some of the recommendations that are made. The steam baths uh, down under. Uh, yes, uh, eggs yeah, down I, under. I don't even want to... <laughs> it's a little no. early in the program. I want to make sure everyone puts the children to bed. It's just, it's just eggs. It's fine. It's just, I just know. said eggs. It's just it's okay, people. Don't yes, worry about exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> settle down, settle down. I love eggs. <laughs> it feels like I've been gone for, for years and years, but I've only been gone for a week. So. Well, you certainly were missed, and I'm very Aww. happy to have you back. You might notice the voice is a little raspier tonight. Well, I don't know. It happens. It happens when you stay up uh, till 2.30 or don't get home till 3 o'clock <laughs> in the morning. Yeah, that, that'll usually do it. Lots of yelling and hollering. You find yourself. At, at, yes, because everywhere you go, you have to scream, at, especially at this casino. <laughs> there, yeah, there you go. Where it was lackluster, I have to say. You know, when you're not winning, you know, you're like, win, lose, win, lose, win, lose. It gets pretty boring, right? Sometimes you're on and sometimes you're not. But uh, not that I go. I mean, the last time I was on, I was probably like in Kelowna maybe 10 years ago. Even though I've been to Vegas 10 times, I, I never play anything down there. I'm not a casino kind of person. It was a birthday party. Nah. Not for me. Anyway, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Uh, I was the designated driver. Good for you. Yes, I typically am because I uh, am allergic to alcohol. So Really? I am. You didn't know that? I did not know that. Severely allergic, yes. Am I like, like anaphylactic allergic? Uh, you know, like um, really bad can't be seen for three days allergic. <laughs> this is what it's like. Okay. I have to take Neocitran, Gravol. I have Jeez. to have bacon and eggs the next morning when I arise with Coca-Cola. I then need some Tylenol with codeine number three. That would work pretty oh well. Gosh. Then I'm back to bed. Then I'm awake again going to McDonald's for a filet of fish, <laughs> large fry, and a large Coke. It's all been rehearsed. Then it's I... all there. We're all ready to go. We have like So you're, what you're telling me is you can. You just need to go through this awful dance for three days. It doesn't matter if I have a half a glass of wine or 17, I suppose. That would be a lot worse. Um, or maybe four. You know, some people can have two or three or four, not me. Uh, so I typically offer my services to be the designated driver. Well, when life gives you lemons. And I did, I know, exactly. And I did that last night. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Alcohol may, no amount of alcohol may be good for you, but a little alcohol may have been good for me last night after what happened, but I'll tell you. Don't tell me that about alcohol. A little bit later. Makes me yeah. Sad. Yeah, new study. How much alcohol is too much alcohol? 
Zero. I feel Nothing. like every day you see like surveys and reports saying a little bit of chocolate's good for you. A lot of chocolate's good for you. No chocolate is good for you. It just This is true. This is true. No alcohol is good for me, though, I have to say. <laughs> I'll just stick to my everything is good for you in moderation. That, that's. I think that's probably a good way uh, to live. But uh, anyway, that's one of the things. We'll hear about it. We certainly will. One of the things we're talking about on the program tonight, I also heard a few colleagues recently lamenting their love lives. Lament no longer anyone out there who might be doing that. Dr. Joel Black, clinical psychologist, author of, author of The 15-Minute Relationship Fix, joins me. And, and uh, it was a very interesting book. Very good book, I have to say. Uh, and we, I believe we have one to give out on the air tonight, too. But we don't have to do that, Andrew. I think they're going to give it out for us. So, you know what? Anyone that wants to wait on me, I love them. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, let's make e life easy on ourselves. Have you ever heard of a pink belt? Have you heard of a pink belt, Andrew? Oh, I feel like I belt? have. I feel like Do I you? have. Does jiu-jitsu sound familiar? Yes. Yes. Oh, so you literally mean like a like a martial arts belt. I do. Okay. I do. Absolutely. I was thinking, okay, I'm, never mind. <laughs> I'm on my way, or I think I did. I built up my confidence anyway going to a class. This is about how smaller, weaker people, women like me, can learn how to defend themselves, chokehold people, attackers, and hit them where it hurts. You're and not weak. Uh, <laughs> You're not weak. I don't am undersell weak. yourself. Don't don't do that. I am weak. <laughs> uh, honestly, I am, and I'm a terrible driver. But I'll tell you about that a bit later. <laughs> and yet, you're the designated driver. I'm I'd... the designated driver, oh. and I'm the worst driver. If anyone else is in the car, I think I'm better when I'm by myself. Most uh, people generally are. Are they? Yeah. It's, just you don't have the pressure to. Well, you know? it's, it's unnerving to drive um, drunk people who are making no sense. Oh, yeah, you know? that as well. <laughs> not even That's thinking the about thing. the hubbub. And then they say. Can you actually just drive so and so home and then, oh, well, where do they live? Well, it's just, it's seriously like it's on the way, but we're going to have to take a different bridge to get there. Okay. It's just on the way, 48 <laughs> kilometers right. from here. As you drive over Hell's Half Acre to um, drop all these people off. <laughs> yes. Um, speaking of hell, we're going to be talking about the Pope's response to the sexual abuse scandal in Pennsylvania. Uh, this week, it was a bit of a soft landing, I have to say. Also, are you trying to have a baby? Do you go to those Thanksgiving dinners where all of your aunties are, are giving you advice on how to have that baby or you might want to consider having one? Well, Marissa joins me tonight. She's going to share her fertility story. This week, I promised I would tell you about the different manifestations of female psychopaths. They're different from men. They behave differently. One of the ways is that they are people jumpers. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about, uh, a situation I've had with a female psychopath um, who disguised herself as a friend. Uh, many men present to my clinical practice asking one question. Do I think they have a porn addiction? Anyway, so I thought what I would do is uh, start a bit of a series on pornography and pornography addiction over the, uh, the coming weeks. And so we're going to start with the basics tonight and just give a little bit of a background on that. Uh, are you, have you been in a little relation, been in a relationship for a little while now, hitting that midlife mark, you know, kind of 15, 20 years, maybe two and a half years? That's really long-term relationship. The definition is after two years. Two years? Yeah, two years, according to 
um, you know, that's in the clinical science you world. You learn every day. You certainly do. So you you can say, I'm in a long-term relationship. It's been for two years. We're hitting the midlife mark. Sex is getting stale. I've got some tips for you for great midlife sex. And I was really saddened to hear the news of uh, someone I consider to be a class act, even though I'm a Democrat. I'm American. I'm dual citizenship. I'm dual citizenship, ugh, Canadian and American. But uh, I'm a Democrat in the States. And uh, John McCain is a Republican, but he's a class act, and he, he's uh, U.S. was a U.S. senator from Arizona and former presidential candidate. He died of the same brain tumor, a glioblastoma, that did not spare the life of Gord Downey or my good friend Damo or the young wife of one of my patients. And at the time of my good friend's diagnosis, his doctor advised him to get his affairs in order, and uh, that he gave him about a year to live, and and he lived a year to the day. He was one of the people. These people seem to live life to the fullest and beyond, and he certainly did. He was so grateful in everything he did. He appreciated the sea and the mountains, and he would say that. I have my my uh, face to the sea and my back to the mountains. And, you know, he was funny and uh, just brilliant and kind and uh, just a, a great man. Um, I do want to, uh, sadly enough, I don't really like to have to say this because once again, it means we've had more gun violence in the U.S. Our thoughts and prayers and our hearts go out to Jacksonville, Florida, where three people were killed at a video game tournament. I'm sad as that. America, do better. I'm going to review your emails tonight, but I have to say I, I give uh, the top email award to this one. Uh, dear doctor, that's not why, but I'm not a doctor. I am a registered nurse. <laughs> Flattery does get you points, though. It certainly does. <laughs> uh, sometimes patients in my office, they're like, doctor. I'm like, I'm actually not a doctor. I'm a nurse. And they're like, well, you like a doctor. Um, <laughs> anyway, well, please call me nurse. Uh, so, But this gentleman gave me a brilliant idea. And so he said, doctor, may I get your booklet on erectile dysfunction? Sincerely, Doug. And uh, you know what? Yes, I'm going to send it out to you, but I don't have one. <laughs> but I'm actually going to start making booklets, on uh, online booklets, and I'm going to put them on my website so people can download them uh, as a PDF from my website. But, Doug, I will send it out to you um, in the next couple of days. Just so. like uh, those brochures you always see in a doctor's office with like all the different disorders there. Exactly. So the ones that I talk about, I'm going to actually have them, I'm going to create them and um, put them on my website so that I can share that information freely so that people can get uh, so thanks for the great idea Doug I really appreciate it if you have any questions at all about your health your relationships your sex life give me a call the number to call is 1-877-399-9898 and um so we've got lots to cover on the program tonight, and uh, when I come back, we are going to talk about that 15-minute relationship fix. Stay with me. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Thank you for being here with me this evening. Uh, on the line, I have Dr. Joel Black. He is a clinical psychologist specializing in treating couples. He is an assistant clinical professor at the Hofstra University and a senior psychologist on the staff of Northwell Long Island Jewish Health System. Good evening, Dr. Black. Good evening, Maureen. How are you? I'm doing great. Oh, Thank you. Wonderful. A great book, uh, The 15-Minute Relationship Fix. I have to say it is appealing, I imagine, to a lot of people. I heard some colleagues lamenting about their love lives, and they were going to some drastic measures to uh, uh, to shake it up or, or um, you know, take a break or, or whatever. Um, and I 
thought, well, the 15-minute relationship fix might help you. So tell me, um, uh, there's a lot in here that aligns with some of my values and what I uh, talk to patients about in my clinical practice. So tell me what um, the, the basic tenet of the 15-minute relationship fix. The book is a tool. It gives couples a way to bypass intimacy potholes. Basically what happens is usually the person that you're living with, who you're sharing your life with, is the last person you want to be judged by. So if you say something and, and the person judges you, which typically happens, um, you start avoiding. And once you start avoiding and stepping back rather than dealing with that judgment, um, you're in trouble. So are people conscious of that? Are they aware of that, that they don't want to be judged by their partner? It's, it's almost like they don't want to share uh, their most intimate thoughts, ideals, ideas, uh, problems, issues with the person that they sleep with or the person they love the most. Right. And not only that, they don't want to, sh they, they, when they try to deal with something that's occurred between them, usually they end up more frustrated and decide, you know what, this isn't working. So they start withdrawing. And withdrawal is a kiss of death in a relationship. You start withdrawing. It's a slippery slope. And you're going to end up one day waking up and looking at the other person and not recognizing who the person is. You've really stepped back from that person. Very dangerous. It is. And um, and so it's oftentimes couples don't understand one another because they're we're not mind readers and they're not sharing their feelings and they have this fear of judgment. So you recommend something called the emotional conference. So tell me about the emotional conference. So what happens is during the first of all, you set up an appointment with each other for the same time each week. It's going to cost you 15 minutes. And before that conference, whether it's earlier in the week, whenever it is, you take a little time to think about yourself, which is right away is different because most people just rush through their week and with it, whatever their feelings are, get left behind. So thinking about yourself, what do you want to talk about? What's going on with you? And you're going to teach the person about your psychology. It's not about blame. Your pronoun is I, me. It's not you where you're pointing at the other person. Right, because oftentimes couples, and this is a rule in my clinical practice, I let them blame the other person for about 10 or 15 minutes and then I uh, full stop, that's it. It's, it's going back to how have you contributed to the issues in your relationship. Is it easier for women to meet at the emotional conference than it is for men where men are not really socialized to share their feelings? Yeah, it tends to be. You're right. You know, I'm laughing because when you say about you let them deal with it for about 10, 15 minutes, <laughs> I tell people, listen, I don't need a co-therapist. You know, because people, someone comes in thinking that they're going to be my co-therapist to help fix the other person. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I just want to, you know, uh, remind them, like, this is not healthy, what you're doing here. So I'd let them do a, a good uh, bit of it. Um, so women, it's, this is easier for women than it is for men. So what are some of the rules of the emotional conference? So each person gets five minutes. Here's how the five minutes works. First... You're going to be talking about something that occurred. It's usually about something that occurred with the other person, but it doesn't have to be. It could be something that occurred with anyone at any time in your life. You're teaching them about your psychology. You're basically saying, here's how I work. For better or for worse, this is how I work. The other person, unless there's about, there's, the roof is about to cave in, there's no interrupting. So not only is the person teaching about their psychology, but the other person is learning to listen.
you know, most of us have the communication thing halfway down, the talking part. The listening part, we're a little weak on. Uh, absolutely. After the five minutes, the other person validates what was said. They don't analyze, they don't interpret, they don't um, do anything other than validate what was said. They don't have to agree with it, but they have to show that they understand, not by saying, I understand, but by demonstrating their understanding. Then the other person goes, and they do the same thing. And it's not going to necessarily be about the same topic, because each of them gave some thought during the week what they wanted to talk about, unless they had an argument or a fight, like maybe the day before or something. Their agenda is going to be different. So, so they're opening up to their partner. Pardon? They're opening up to their partner. Yes. And they're learning to listen. And they're being heard. In a, in a, in a relationship, agreement really is optional. Understanding is not. If you don't have understanding in a relationship where you feel understood, you don't really have a relationship. You're having a relationship without relating. Exactly. And some couples or some people in couples expect that you to be on the same page as them, that you are to be a union, you are to be one, you are to think alike, you are to act alike. But you uh, demonstrated one story in your of, of a number of stories in your book about a man who'd been um, engaging in infidelity for a long time because he didn't actually understand. He and his wife didn't understand one another. They had actually had very similar thoughts and idea, ideas about their relationship, but they never shared that. Right. And that, you know... There's so much that goes on with people that um, they forget about really talking to each other and get caught up um, in the business of life, um, paying, paying bills, taking care of things, taking care of the children. Um, but really, the intimacy really is sharing your personal feelings, and the intimacy gets sidelined very often. And this is costing you 15 minutes once a week to bring you closer. It's very powerful. It, it was very powerful. It was a great book, and I also love the fact that you talked about the family of origin and, and what experiences people had when they were children and how they brought that to their relationship. Now, where can people get your book? I know you've been so generous as to offer uh, to give one out to one of our listeners, but uh, for those who don't win, uh, where could somebody get the 15-minute relationship fix? It's on Amazon, in paper, in hardcover, and in Audible. So one of the great things in terms of the audible thing, if people have a commute and they're with their partner, they can listen to the book together. Excellent idea. Dr. Joel Black, clinical psychologist, author of The 15-Minute Relationship Fix. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. We're not going to forget, Andrew, we have a book to give out, The 15-Minute Relationship Fix, so we'll give it to the 10th caller, 1-877-399-9898. Uh, uh, it's a great read. I read it myself. Right now, we are talking about uh, self-defense, defending yourself, especially if you are a weaker, smaller individual. Uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is uh, just that. It is self-defense. They offer a uh, a pink belt for women. And in the studio right now, I have the owners of the North Vancouver Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, Certified Training Center here to talk about uh, this type of martial art, this self-defense for women. Um, and uh, I attended a class myself, so I'm going to share a little bit about what I learned. So now you have to be afraid of me. Mark and Liz, welcome to the studio. Thanks for coming in. Thank, Thank you, you for, having for having us. Having. 
So uh, tell me a little bit about uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Mark. Sure. Um, so Gracie Jiu-Jitsu was created by uh, a family from Brazil called the Gracies. And uh, they were very, um, they were taught by a Japanese master. Um, that Japanese master visited Brazil in the early 1900s, taught a few of the Gracie family members. They got really into it. One of the brothers, who was very young and actually had some physical ailments, he was unable to perform any physical activities, including going upstairs. He would faint. He would stand by, watch while his brothers learned jujitsu and eventually became teachers. He got really into it, and one day when he started to practice, he wanted to refine it. And so over years and years, 65 years, in fact, of teaching the art, he refined it uh, down into like a more effective art. So it gave birth to the Gracie uh, style, which was a unique style of jiu-jitsu. It was originally based on a samurai battlefield thing. What, en what, what eventually ended up happening was they developed it for the everyday person. And for weaker, smaller individuals such as you and I, Liz, women who, uh, women are 87%, 87% of attacks happen to women. Uh, it's been said that 50% uh, of women have experienced some physical abuse. And what I learned when I went to the class was that uh, there are certain strategies you can use to overcome, that, you, that we are, um, we can defend ourselves. And there are certain ways, and there are also certain ways that attackers attack. Can you tell me a little bit about that, please? Sure, yes. Um, what makes the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and the Women Empowered Program so effective and so amazing is that we rely, rather than strength and power, we rely on energy efficiency, leverage, strategy, and timing. And essentially, it gives you a game plan. So just like, you know, um, for a fire or for an earthquake, you have a proper exit route. So what this program does is it gives women a proper game plan so they know exactly what to do in the most common attacks. And what is one of the most common attacks on women? Where do, where do uh, men uh, strike? Um, so what, from statistics, we know that 78% of attacks are from non-strangers. So people that we know, like coworkers, you know, friends. And, um, and where do they actually attack on the body? Okay. Because so, that can be pretty frightening, uh, you know, what I learned yesterday. Right. So they can, uh, we go over all the most common attacks from, um, you know, on the ground, um, from standing, just even something as like grabbing your arm, trying to isolate you, um, choking you. Um, and so there was a strategy that I learned yesterday from you, Mark, uh, mm -hmm. for a man that that may uh, dare to try to attack me. No, we make not, we don't make this light at all because this is a very serious issue, and um, you can get attacked. And I actually work in prisons, and so I actually am at risk for this. Um, but so when somebody w might attack me, um, if they put their hands around their neck, there are some strategies. So can you go through the for the women out there what they would do if somebody came at them? and, you know, um, put their hands around their neck. Or Amazing. Yeah, thank you for asking about that. We have two different strategies, one for the strangers and one for the non-strangers. In both situations, we have separate styles of, um, of defending ourselves. So with a non-stranger, we say that they go through intrusive behavior. So we say they intrude, they do something that's uncool, that's not right, that's, that's not good, and then they desensitize. They'll repeat that behavior. Eventually, they may, may isolate and execute some kind of an assault. 
So through all different phases of the assault, we have a different behavior. Now, one of the most common things that happens to strangers or non-strangers is that at some point, the bad guy, the perpetrator, the attacker, the assailant may get on top of the potential target and hold them down by their neck or their clothing. So one of the things that differentiates Gracie Jiu-Jitsu from all other martial arts is a real strategy from the bottom of the fight being held down. Because if we go crazy underneath somebody and try to use strength or strikes or violence to get them off, what might happen? We might burn out and then lose our, our energy and then they can further perpetrate an assault. So what we do in this situation is perform an exact leverage-based response to the indicator. And so what we do is we take the 20 most common situations and we give an indicator and response until the student masters it. After the students master the most common situations, they can go on to the next most common uh -huh. situation. So one of the things I learned yesterday was to choke hold somebody, which I was, was so awesome, uh, so that I could, you know, hold somebody down um, and, and also then um, immobilize one of their arms um, as the beginning of a way to actually escape from someone. Um, so can you tell the next steps? Very empowering because not only can we escape, but if we had to use a joint lock or a chokehold to you know, put the attacker to sleep or break his arm, that's a possibility. Now we call that the violence scalability factor and that's another I thing. I didn't do that yesterday. <laughs> no, to you, Good. fortunately. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for not doing that. <laughs> so the violence scalability factor is simply this. If a boss or somebody that we know behaves inappropriately, we need a slick and smart move to get away. We can't always gouge out their eyes or beat them up or kick them in the groin, but we actually need that violent scalability factor in case we need to use something a little bit more serious, including incapacitating them. Mm -hmm. And so there are also ways to strike at an attacker as well, um, that uh, using your energy, because you would think that, you know, especially if a large man overtakes a woman and she's down on the ground, but by, by choke holding and then immobilizing their arm um, and, you know, and then actually hugging them to actually, um, that I found was very interesting um, because you actually hug them and then actually they, you know, you lift them up effectively. We call this distance management. Mm -hmm. And in distance management, we say there are times where we have to be so far or so close. Mm -hmm. Because if we're in that striking range, we're very vulnerable, especially if we admit that there is always somebody out there who's bigger, stronger, more aggressive, who has that striking advantage. So managing the distance means that we're staying too far away for, the, for their ability to strike or getting too close if they've got a hold of us. Once we break free, there's a very strategic moment to uh, uh, commit very powerful strikes. And so that's another thing that I think would be a really unique strategy is being able to strike with open palms instead of closed fists because mm -hmm. the hand is very easy to break. Striking with the heel at the right moment. And so, yeah, that I think that exit strategy as we're escaping we strike as we're breaking free we strike to distract and get away right but you wouldn't think that you would hug your attacker you know <laughs> and, and to in order to get them off of you so all of these strategies can lead to a um, pink belt Liz uh, so can you tell me about the Pink Belt program at your gym, your sure. training center? Yes, the Pink Belt, it's something that the woman can get from uh, taking the course, the Woman Empowered course, for about six to eight months. And at that point, they have mastered the techniques and they come uh, more reflex reflexively and... Um, they can take a test to test their reflexes and then 
after that, they can get their pink belt. And so they actually demonstrate this, because I asked, asked this question yesterday. So, because I said, you know, at what point does this become real? So, um, the, but, it, and, and Mark said that during the test, you actually attack. Uh, you know, you actually go through all of your strategies and you do the, well, one of the strategies that I learned yesterday was the, the slap. Super, super slap. Super slap, mm -hmm. yes. So I like that one um, because you can kind of knock somebody out a little bit or, you know, stun them if, essentially. So you're slapping their ear um, straight on using your elbows just a little bit bent and, and then you're right. slapping their ear. So, um, so they go through this and the, the test is actually a real live go through it all. Yep, that's right. It's a live test. So the way it works is all the techniques that they've learned, they, um, they have to do them in sequence, but after that, then it's a freestyle. So they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what kind of attack is going to come to them. So then they have to just react accordingly to um, what their training taught them. And what are some of the things uh, to both of you that women uh, say after they've taken this course? How does this, I mean, I certainly felt one course and, you know, one class and I actually felt, you know, just a little bit more empowered to, to deal with an attack um, than when I arrived there, you know, which which surprised me, really, that I, I have some strategies I've been going through them in my head and, you know, I'm practicing them on my husband and everything. And <laughs> uh, But what do women say? Well, it's revolutionary because not only do they get to practice and feel how the techniques work, but it's proven. The Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is the most proven martial art in history. There's about 30 years or more of video evidence of uh, Gracie representatives performing Jiu-Jitsu against attackers of all different shapes and sizes. So what happens is, is there's a complete turnaround. And it's the ability to, to say to ourselves, we don't need to feel intimidated. We don't need to be feeling in that situation where, well, if somebody does something, I don't have a plan. Right. And uh, I think that that is one of the most empowering things. And one of the things that I said yesterday about the pink belt, the pink belt is symbolic of this ability to make choices on our own and not feel uh, vulnerable. And the black belt is such a serious thing in martial arts. Kay Van was saying earlier, it takes 10 years to become a, you know, a legit fighter right. in, in martial arts. But what really is martial arts supposed to promise? the ability to defend against a bigger, stronger attacker. And, and, you know, I hate to say this, but women need to empower themselves and need to have these strategies so that they can actually defend themselves because this is such a common occurrence in life, most unfortunately for women. Uh, there are online classes as well, but um, you also have a training center in North Vancouver. So how can people get in touch with you? Sure, they can reach out to us at www.northfanbjj.com or northfanbjj at gmail.com. Of course, they can also find us through gracieuniversity.com, which is our mother school in California. Fantastic. And you know what? I love the fact that there's online uh, here because we have uh, women in Alberta listening and, and women in Manitoba listening and of course women in British Columbia and not everybody is able to get out and go to the gym. So um, this is this is a great um, defense, you know, martial arts defense course for women. And, and thank you so much for the great work that you're doing. I am Maureen McGrath and you're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thank you so much for being here with me tonight. Uh, we're talking about having having babies. You know what? It's not that easy for everybody. Even Brigitte Nielsen, the actress at the age of 54, is welcoming her fifth child. Uh, and this is flying the flag for older mothers. Uh, 
So, you know, you got to wonder, how did that happen? Well, Marissa Elliott joins me. She's in studio with me now. She is going through a fertility journey, and she's going to share some of the issues that she's uh, experienced and uh, and what it's like when you're walking that path. Thank you so much for joining me in studio tonight. Thank you for having me, Maureen. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. You know, so. Go ahead. <laughs> Share your story, girlfriend. You know, this journey was not something that I expected. It was definitely a surprise. I think after we got we got married and we started trying right away, and I just expected to get pregnant within a few months of trying. All my close friends around me, my sister, everyone got pregnant within a few months. And I had no idea at that time about infertility and the struggle that so many women are going through. And now did you delay trying to have a baby for one reason or another. Yeah, we started, I was 35, and I mean, now that I understand the statistics and the decrease in egg quality after age 30, which I had no idea about, I, I probably would have, you know, been a bit more on it. Uh, but I was I was busy running a business and, and looking for the right guy, and until I found my husband that I'm, I'm with, my, my, my partner Chris, I wasn't, uh, babies wasn't, wasn't on my mind. I, I, he was the first person I was like, I want to have a baby with this guy. <laughs> and I really did not think we would have a problem. I just expected we would, we'd get pregnant. Right. And so you were married at 35? Yes. And trying right away, yeah, right we, out of the right gates? Right away. Wedding night, we're doing this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I had no idea what was to come. And how long has it been? 27 months. 27 months. I am counting. <laughs> yes, you are certainly counting. Two hours, five minutes, 37. <laughs> Seconds. Yeah. Uh, so it's a twenty, been a twenty-seven over a two-year journey yeah, for you. And yeah. What are some of the things that people say to you about this? Oh wow. <laughs> Where do I start? You know, it's funny. I was thinking about this before I came on, and I was actually talking to my husband about this on the ferry ride back from the island this morning. Just all the unsolicited advice that I've gotten over the over the over two years of you know in the process of making the baby and what are some and, of the things oh, people the, say the, you know you should just stop trying and everyone has a story about their neighbor who tried and tried and didn't get pregnant and then they stopped trying and they got pregnant or they went on vacation after trying for three years and they got pregnant right as soon as you let go maybe you'll get pregnant and right you know there's, there's a bit of a blame culture on this isn't there oh for sure for sure and it, it seems like it was always coming now that I'm in this point and I can think back to you know what it was like when I was getting the advice. It was always coming from people who got pregnant easily, who didn't share the experience. Right. And so it was very hard to receive because someone's telling you who got pregnant so quickly to just let go. Maybe that'll help it. Exactly. And so just letting go didn't work and stop try no. stopping trying didn't work and all those myths out there didn't work. And so now you actually posted a video on Facebook in preparation for an upcoming TEDx talk. And um, and you've gotten a lot of responses from other yeah. women out there who are going through the same pain of this journey. Yeah. It's been amazing. You know, after my experience of getting all the advice and a lot of advice as well, I should share, I took. And I do want to say also that advice came from a good place. Of course Everyone's it does. intent was to help. Human beings, yes. They you want to help. They want to be the hero. And, and I they did follow the one. For sure. Yeah. yeah, everyone has a success story. And, exactly. and I appreciate it. And you know what? Had I not gone through it, I probably would have done the same. Mm -hmm. And I followed the, the advice. I went, I stopped eating green salad, stopped eating cold, did a meditation course. I, I really did take the advice. But after going through it for a period of time, the more that it didn't work, I didn't want to talk about it with those people anymore. Right. And I isolated a lot. And so that's what brought me to a point of... 
you know, I, I chose who I talked to and I kept the, I kept the issue to myself. I spoke to my husband. He was an amazing support. And um, one of the issues though around this that can happen for couples is that sex can become clinical. And this is what I've heard. <laughs> Even after the baby is born, um, the, the, you know, it's because it started in such a clinical way that mm-hmm. sex, you know, a lot of couples have difficulty getting back to the bedroom, so mm-hmm. to speak, and getting back at it because they associate this, um, with, um, you know, effort when it's maybe inconvenient or maybe one doesn't feel like it. And so it has a real clinical. It definitely uh, changes. It definitely changes your yes. sex life. Yes. Get home right now. Yeah. It's time. Yeah. Okay, I well, always swore I would not be that person, and I became that person. Of course, of course. Yeah, yes. it's been refreshing now that we've gone through IVF to just become ourselves again. And, uh, you know, we have our, our embryos now that are on ice, and, and I feel like we can kind of take a breather for a bit. And uh, How long did it take you before you sought fertility treatments? Uh, I was pretty eager. I went to see my doctor at four months of drying, and I was you. like, okay... What's the process? How long do I need to wait before I can get into a fertility clinic? She said after 35, it's six months of trying. So I was there at six months and one day at my doctor's office saying, I want a referral to a fertility clinic. Right. And, and we went in right away and we, we went through the process, but you know, we got the unexplained infertility diagnosis, which is when nothing's wrong with either of you and there's nothing they can explain it. Right. And, and that's quite a frustrating one for, for most people because you want something that you can fix. That you want to fix it. And so, so you're going through in vitro now? Yes. And what does that entail? Uh, well, that changes. That also changes the romance between you and your partner. Chris was injecting me with three. Uh, I got three injections a day. Uh, and he was an amazing support. I, I've spoken to women who are going through this alone, who have come to a point where they don't have a partner and mm-hmm. uh, they just don't want to wait and they want to have babies. And, you know, I spoke to one woman who's gone through it. Seven, she's on her seventh round of IVF. And this is an expensive proposition. Yeah. I understand. If, if you do all the add-ons, like you can do a bunch of add-ons, all the genetic testing, and you're looking between twenty and 25000 A time? Yeah. At each time? Yeah. And how many times have you gone through this? This is our first. This is our first. This and I feel very time. grateful that we have two health healthy, genetically tested, viable embryos on ice right now. Fantastic. And uh, and, the, and uh, the next step, I imagine, is... Um, putting the putting the embryo in. Yes. And, uh, and getting pregnant. And, and, and trying to stay sane in the process, because um, I'm on a lot of hormones right now. Of course, of course. <laughs> well, I wish you all the best of luck with this. And I, I, and I know that the next time you come in the studio, you're either going to have a big bump or, a, or yeah, a beautiful baby. I, hopefully, hopefully, yes. Well, and I just encourage people as well to just speak, you know, share with your friends, be open, be vulnerable, because the more you share, the, I in my process, so many women that are going through this have come to me and shared their stories. And it takes away that feeling alone, and it really makes the process so much easier. When we share our stories, we empower other women and girls. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.